0: You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Good morning to those who are watching online and those who are live today in the Life Center. The Bible is not an old book. It's an eternal book. So every time you open it up, there's, there's something in here that's timely. We're going to begin a book in the Bible this morning that's 2,500 years old, and yet it kind of sounds like it was written a few weeks ago. We're going to go to the book of Habakkuk. That really is the name of a book in the Bible, Habakkuk. If you don't mind taking a good 20 minutes and finding that in your Bible, it's about just three pages long, uh, nestled right in between Nahum and Zephaniah, or if it helps you, it's five books from the end of the Old Testament. Let's go to Habakkuk together. This is where we'll be these next four or five weeks or so, just going verse by verse and seeing what God says to us through this pretty fascinating book. You know, when, when Paul writes a book, he writes a letter, he usually starts it off with a blessing. In fact, he, almost always he'll say grace and peace and will say, you know, I love you and I, I miss you and, and um, I, I long to see you and I love, love you with the affection of Christ. When Habakkuk writes the book, he begins with... Ah! <laughs> Big mood. Like, he is Habakkuk's mood equals our mood. Like, he is so frustrated with everything that's, that's going on in the world around him. And I saw a few of you jump just in. I'm glad you're awake now for, for church. Let me, let me just step back and say this to, to the believers in Christ. Even though we live a life of faith... A life that is founded personally and explicitly in Jesus Christ. Even though we live a life of faith and that Jesus is our all in all and he supplies all of our needs. We will always be uncomfortable in this world because this world always has problems. That might be a really good place to start. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 1. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. Okay, let's stop. The oracle, um, it means a a message, but more specifically in Hebrew, it means a heavy message. So in fact, if you have the King James Version, the Bible that Jesus used, it says the burden there is actually the word that's that's used, this, this burden that Habakkuk saw. Now, this is very interesting. It was not just that he heard this message from God or heard this oracle from God, this heavy message, this burden from God. It is something that he actually saw he's experiencing this this is this is his life this is his world and here's what he says oh lord how long shall i cry for help and you will not hear or cry to you violence and you will not save why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong destruction and violence are before me strife and contention arise so the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth, for the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. This is, this is the prayer, or actually let's call it what it is, it's a rant. It's a rant of Habakkuk, and he is saying, God, this, this is a mess. I'm living in a mess, and I keep asking you over and over again to fix it. I keep asking you over and over again to do something about it. How long am I going to cry out and you not hear and you not help? I mean, times were bad. And what Habakkuk does, he's a godly man. Please, you need to know this. He's a man who loves the Lord, who fears the Lord, who longs to see God. And what he is doing in this passage is he is simply expressing, maybe even exposing his heart before God. What he is saying is, I I do not understand, God, why you would allow these things to happen. He says, in essence, something that you could write across the entire Minor Prophets here it is, God, I can't figure out why things are as they are if you are who you are I don't understand why things are falling apart, I don't understand why things are so bad, I don't understand why there's so much injustice and and destruction and strife and division I don't understand why the law is is paralyzed I don't understand why things are as they are if you really are who you say you are and next week, we're going to look at that age-old question, if God is so good, why do bad things happen? If God is so capable, why is there evil in our world? And that's kind of what, what Habakkuk is saying here, in verses one through four. God, I, just don't, I can't understand why things are the way they are if you really are who you say you are. And that's often a question of God's people. That's been a question of God's people since, since the Bible itself was, was written. And it's a question of 2020. God, I don't understand why, why all these things are happening. God, what, what, a, what a terrible year it has, has been. We're wrestling with this thought. Why are things the way that they are? And as we look at our nation and read verses 1 through 4, we would have to say, same. Verse 2, there's, there's violence. Certainly we see that in our day. Verse 3, there's iniquity or sin. Verse 3, again, the word violence is used. Verse 3, the word destruction is used. Verse 3, strife, which, which means a division. And contention, which almost means the same thing, an emotional contention. They're just rising all around. People don't really change that much, do they? Maybe times haven't really changed that much. It's the reason I'm not a big believer in social evolution, because really we haven't changed that much since back chapter 1. And in verse 3, Habakkuk just plays all of his cards. And look what he says. Why do you make me see this? God, in, in your sovereignty, why are you making me see this? Now, what was, what was Habakkuk seeing in his day? He was seeing the devaluing of human life. He was seeing fear. He was seeing injustice. And this is why he says, God, look at this in verse 3. Why are you idly just sitting by? You're just sitting by watching all these things happening. Maybe we could kind of say the same thing in 2020. God, why are you making us see all this? Where are you? Why are you making us see the, the racism and COVID-19 and the fear and the divisions and, and the hatred and abortion and, and violence and all these things? God, where where are you in the middle of this year? Habakkuk's frustrated. Maybe you have felt some frustration as, as well. We, in fact, we see the The two questions that Habakkuk asked are the same two questions we're asking in 2020. How long? Verse two. Hasn't it felt like 2020 has lasted two and a half years already? And then verse three, why? We're asking the same questions today. That Habakkuk was asking in difficult times, how long is this going to last? How long do we have to wear masks? How long until until the division within our nation is, is over. And God, not just how long, but can you tell us why? Like, why are you doing all this? Why are you allowing all these things to happen? Why, just as the back ask, why are you making us see these things, live these things, walk through these things? Well, let me perhaps let you see this in a more hopeful lens for just a little bit. You might want to write this down and consider this. The closer you grow to God and his word, the more you grow in frustration toward our culture. The closer you grow to God, the closer you are in his word and you know him through his word, it's just a given you're going to become more and more frustrated with the culture in which we live maybe I could put it this way sometimes being frustrated means you're godly because your heart is broken for the same things that break the heart of God broken people, broken lives, broken systems sometimes we feel frustrated because we're just sharing in God's heart for all the things, the crazy things that happen around us. Verse, verse four is pretty interesting. The law is paralyzed. Wow. That means the law wasn't working. Justice wasn't working. Those who applied the law did so dishonestly. So justice was nowhere to be found. And there's a little Hebraic expression here when it says that the wicked, see this in verse four, the wicked surround the righteous. That's a Hebraic expression that means it seems like there's many more unrighteous people or wicked people than there are righteous people. We see this frustration growing as... Habakkuk lays out his complaint before God. Where, where is justice? In fact, he says here, justice is twisted or justice is perverted, your Bible might say. And I don't know about you all, we stand here in 2020 and kind of have that same quizzical expression in our hearts. The same quizzical expression in our minds. God, what's what's going on? Why is it like this? And if you're not frustrated with the present climate, you're not paying attention. These are frustrating days we live in. Times were bad in the days of Habakkuk as well. And so really what this is, it's a complaining prayer, verses one through four. But the next seven verses, God's gonna answer, but it's not the answer Habakkuk was hoping for. It's not the answer Habakkuk was looking for. In fact, have you noticed we all like to prescribe our own answers to prayer when we pray to God? Sometimes the back of our mind is we're praying, we're saying, God, just in case you don't have a plan, I do. I've got some great options for you as I pray here. This is not the option that Habakkuk was was looking for. In fact, God pretty much says, oh, you think it's bad? It's about to get worse. Habakkuk rants, God responds. Habakkuk chapter one, verse five. Look among the nations and see, wonder, and be astounded. For I'm doing a work in your days that you would not even believe if I told you. For behold, let me just tell you, in the Old Testament, when God says, behold, put a helmet on. <laughs> I am raising up the Chaldeans, that, that bitter and hasty nation. In other words, that, that they're, they're mean and they're fast they march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings to seize homes to seize land that is not their own they are a dreaded people they are fearsome people their justice and dignity go forth from themselves this is a very interesting verse it means they define their own justice they define their own dignity and there is none their horses verse 8 are swifter than leopards More fierce than the evening wolves. It's the evening wolves that are the most hungry, the most desperate. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour, which means they're organized. They all come for violence. In other words, all the Chaldeans, they show up for bloodshed, and all their faces are forward. They love blood. They love war. They love battle. They love conflict. They have crazy eyes for it. And they gather captives like sand. In other words, they collect people. At kings, they scoff. At rulers, they laugh. They laugh at every fortress. But they just pile up earth and they take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and they go on. Who are they? Guilty men. Whose own might is their God. God answers Habakkuk's problem with a bigger problem. You might want to write this down or consider this with me this this is I think this is major God uses whatever he wants to use to capture the attention of his people this has been true daughters and sons of God since God had people he will use whatever it takes to get our attention he will use whatever it takes to turn our head away from the world and to turn our face and our heart and our minds toward him. There are four prophets prophesying during this season of this timeline of Israel. It it was a terrible time. It was a difficult time. It was a bloody time, a violent time for Israel. And there's there's four prophets that are prophesying. You know things are bad if God sends you one prophet. You know they're really bad if he sends you four. And so here we have Habakkuk, he is prophesying during this time. Jeremiah is prophesying during this time. Nahum is prophesying during this time. And Zephaniah, there are four prophets on the scene. They are prophesying to God's people, and they're also prophesying to kings and those in authority. God was going to use whatever it took to get the attention of his people, and what God is about to do here, we see this. Is it was very, very clear for you to see, was it not? God's about to use something harsh. It's going to be deadly. It's going to be overwhelming. The Chaldeans, which were like the, the the younger sister of the Babylonians, they were a part of the Babylonian empire. In fact, they were probably the special forces of the Babylonians. That the Chaldeans were the, the the ones that had such such bloodlust. They wanted to go in and kill and wipe out anything and anybody. And God was going to use the Chaldeans. They were about to come in, destroy Jerusalem, destroy the temple, and take the Israelites back in captivity for 70 years. Highland, don't think for a moment that's not what's happening in 2020. God's trying to get our attention. God wants to speak to his people. What is he doing? He's sifting us. He's preparing us. He's speaking to us. He is purifying for himself a people. God is using all the things happening in our nation right now to get the attention of his people. He is capturing the attention of his church. Here's good news. God redeems crazy. God redeems crazy times. Crazy people, crazy you, crazy me. God has always been, if you will, the spiritual business of redeeming crazy. Crazy seasons of life, crazy timelines, crazy situations. What God allows, He redeems. So every hurt, Every pain, every season, every loss, every crazy event that you go through, every crazy event that our nation goes through, what is God doing? He's just redeeming all of those things. If you don't believe me, look at verse five. Verse five, in the middle of this crazy time in the life of Israel, he says, Look, see what I'm doing. I'm doing a work. Every Monday at 2 p.m., our staff gets together and we do two things. One, and to hear this correctly, we talk about you. Like we figure out how we can be praying for you. What, what are some of the stories that you're walking through? How can we celebrate the good things? How can we pray for you if you have a burden? The second question we ask every Monday and have done so for seven years every Monday, what is God doing? What is God doing in our church? What's God doing in our city? What's God doing in our nation? What's God doing around the world? It's one of the only two questions we ask every Monday at 2 o'clock. Our staff gets together and asks this question exactly from verse 5. What is God doing? Look at verse 5. Look and see and wonder and be astonished because I am doing a work in your day. You have no idea is what God is saying here. You would not even believe it if I told you what I was doing in the middle of crazy So I'm going to step out of scripture for just a second and my knees tremble when I do this. Let me just give you my opinion, which I rarely like to do. I'd like to just share with you what I think God might be doing right now, what God might be redeeming. Let me just share with you my opinion and what this guy simply thinks God might be up to in capturing the attention of his people. Here's the first thing that I would say. We were never in control of our lives. Control has been a mirage for us. And we're more helpless in what happens than we realize. And we've probably learned that more since March 2020 than we have in any other season of life. We're not in control. We're not the masters of our own fate. We're not the captain of our souls. Maybe this is what God is is doing. The second thing I think that God might be doing, how he might be redeeming this crazy, is that the church is created to be uniquely fearless and selfless. And the church, I believe, shines during dark times. I've seen it in our city. I've seen it in you. Loving this community, serving others, caring for others, giving generously, financially, and of your time, of your talents, of your treasure. I've seen it in churches in our city, working together to care for others during this difficult time. I've seen it in the Capital C Church across our nation, and I hear reports constantly on how the church is shining around the world you see bright things shine even brighter when it's up against a dark background and i think the church maybe more than i ever remember is shining like a star in the universe as we hold out the word of truth maybe that's what god is redeeming maybe my opinion one of the ways that god is redeeming crazy here's the third thing each of us has numbered days we just don't know the number I think as of last week, 204,000 Americans have lost their lives to COVID-19. And then the leader of the free world tests positive. And maybe a lot of us are starting to think about our own mortality. Because all this room, we, we all have numbers of our days. And I think right now the mortality rate of humanity is running right at 100%. There's a number for you, there's a number for me. And maybe a lot of us have thought more about eternity these last six or seven months than we have the previous six or seven years. I serve as a a trustee at Dallas Baptist University and got an email this morning that there was a car wreck last night of five DBU students and two of them lost their lives early this morning, actually. I I got the email and I'm sure I got it and the president sent it without realizing I have a son at, at, at Dallas Baptist University. And so immediately, I had a peace in my heart. There was not this, this overwhelming fear. I had a, had a peace. Moms and dads, you kind of know what that peace is. I wasn't necessarily fearful for my son's life or death, but I wanted to hear his voice. So it's was about 745, 750, so I, I call him, and um, he's 20, so you 20-year-old guys in the room, you'll, you'll get this, I think. I called him, he doesn't answer. I called him, he doesn't answer. I called him, and here's the loving way he answered. What? I was like, bro, I, just, I needed to hear your voice what? I know, that's sappy sounding, I just need to hear your voice you had some classmates that lost their lives a few hours ago and I just wanted to make sure you were okay and your roommates were okay and your friend group was okay and I wanted you to know for prayer and just to prepare you for some grief, there's a good possibility to small school like that, you're going to know the two people who lost their lives early this morning I mean, he's 20 and I had to think for a few moments this morning, the number of days of my son, maybe as a 20-year-old or 18-year-old or 50-year-old or however old you might be, maybe sometimes we forget about the number of days that, that God has for us. We just don't know that number. Maybe that's what God is doing. Fourthly, our hope is not in our health, our government, our finances, or others. It's in Jesus alone. And you know what? Our government was never even created to bring us joy and freedom and hope and life. Neither was our, our health Or our money, nor is anybody else created for you to have freedom, for you to have hope, life, joy. But Jesus is why he came to give you life and hope and, and freedom and, and true joy, abounding joy. Fifthly, our world is feeling less and less like home. That's what I'm sensing. Again, I'm stepping out of the text. Just want to make sure you, you know that stepping out of the text, giving you my opinion this, this morning, this afternoon now, that I, I just feel like these last six months, this has felt less and less like, like home. And there's been more and more of a longing for the capital H home to, to be with the Lord one day. Here's what C.S. Lewis says, this fantastic quote from Mere Christianity. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Maybe that's what God's doing. Now let me step back into the text. If you've been at Highland long enough, you know that we have, we talk about the lower story and the upper story. The lower story in scripture is, is the narrative. It's the people, the, the geography, the names, the events, the, the battles, the situations. But all throughout scripture, there's also an, an upper story. It's, it's the redemptive plan of God. How God desires to bring creation, including you, back to himself and even provided a way by the giving of his son, Jesus Christ, and the death of his son, Jesus, and the resurrection of his son, Jesus. There's this upper story all throughout scripture that God is weaving together to redeem people. And I want you to see the upper story this morning before we close our Bibles. Let me just give you the upper story. Here it is. God sits supremely over the scope of all human history. God exerts this divine sovereign power over the history of the world. I don't 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 miss this. It's in verse six. In fact, we kind of ran through it very quickly. I stopped at the word "Behold," but look back at verse six. For behold, I, I God, I am raising up the Chaldeans. And verse six indicates that God's going to raise up the Chaldeans. That God controls them. These are godless. Violent, pagan, unchosen, God-hating nation. And God controls them. Every single nation in this world is under the power of God. He's the Lord of history. He's been sovereign in the historical processes since the very beginning of time. So the Chaldeans, what do they do? They come in and they conquer Jerusalem. They conquer Israel. They conquer God's people. And they did not even realize they were being used by God. So they're here patting themselves on the back, just celebrating all that they have done, telling themselves how, how great they are for having done this. Look at these people. Look at verse 6 again. They were a hasty people. They seized things not their own. Verse 7, they had their own sense of justice. Verse 8, their horsemen pressed proudly on. Verse 10, they scoff at kings. Verse 10, they laugh at rulers. Verse 10, they laugh at fortresses. Verse 11, might show them all in a big picture. Their might is their God. They thought they owned their military success to their own ability. So typical. Great powers come, and they conquer, and they get drunk on their own success, and then God casts them down. The Chaldeans will last for about 240 to 260 years and will never be heard of again. When will we learn that real history is God's history under his mighty, sovereign, supreme hand. Now, go vote on November 3rd. Every Christian should vote. Uh, You don't have to even, it doesn't even matter who you're voting for or what even office you're voting for, but go vote. But you know what? After you vote, Christian, go home and sleep well because God sits supremely with the scope of all human history it's God who sees the end from the beginning it's God who knows the time and the seasons, it's God who knows the empires as they rise, the empires as they fall God knows exactly what he is doing, the clock of God is never off, even a split second world's gone crazy absolutely it has god 's gone missing, not for a second. He sits supremely of the scope, the full scope of human history. Would you stand with me, please, and let 's pray together? God, you do rule. And you reign with your mighty, sovereign, supreme hand. And so in the crazy, we look to you. In the crazy, we fix our eyes on you. Your son, Jesus, no one else, nothing else was designed to give us freedom, life, joy, and hope but Jesus and Jesus alone. So we're not going to be overwhelmed or undone by the crazy around us because our God rules supremely this gives us hope in a crazy season a crazy year crazy times God we love you so we believe these things we pray these things and we sing these things In the name of the Son, Jesus, amen.